Amen. Amen. It's good to be here. Praise the Lord. I was saying, the Lord has let me preach out a little bit in my ministry, but it's not often I get to invited back to preach again at the same place. Amen. <laughs> you might figure out why here in a minute, but uh, thank the Lord for that. Amen. And I love, your, I love your pastor. I love this church. I love the momentum and the direction that everything's going. It's not like the common uh, church out there just doing church. There's something different about the place. Amen. I'm thankful for that. Amen. I want to preach to you on a text that I've never listened to a message on. I've never listened to Ralph Sexton Jr. I'm going to now that I know about it. But I want you to turn to Psalm 85. Every revival I do at my church, which we do about three a year, and I have a little revival kind of plan that I put together. So a week out from my revival meetings, three times a year, I've been there nine years, I will preach on sin, amen, and we'll do communion to get my people right for revival. Three weeks out, I'll preach on fasting every meeting and oftentimes call a Daniel fast or some type of fast for my people. I'll preach on uh, uh, prayer four weeks out and we'll formulate a intercessory prayer list of lost people in our community that we will pray for for four weeks and invite them to service and pray that they be, be saved, amen. But uh, usually two weeks out, I, I look at what to preach and I preach on revival, amen. So... Uh, those are four of the things I love preaching on. I've probably preached more in my entire ministry. And, and, and I want to preach on the phrase, do you believe it this morning? Do you believe it? In Psalm 85, theologians will tell you, historically, it was probably written right after the Babylonian captivity as the children of Israel are released from that time of judgment that they suffered through. But only a small remnant went back. I've read some would say 2%, however many. Uh, very few said we'll leave the life we've built for 70 years in this pagan land where we couldn't worship God and we're going to go find the real God and we're going to worship the real God. Amen. That sounds a little bit like the church today. Everybody's fine uh, doing what they do, but just a small remnant like we've got here this morning said, you know what? I'm going to go find God and we're going to worship God. Amen. So let's read the text this morning. 85 and 1 says uh, to the chief musician of Psalm, the sons of Korah, Lord, thou hast been favorable unto thy land. Thou hast brought back the captivity of Jacob. Could I say they were thankful for what God had done in their life. Amen. Verse 2 says, Thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thine people. Thou hast covered all their sin. Selah. They were thankful for the forgiveness of God this morning. Amen. Verse 3, thou hast taken away all thy wrath. Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God, of our salvation and cause thine anger uh, toward us to cease. They were thankful for the turning of the fierceness of the wrath of God. He preached on sin. That ignites the wrath of God in your life. They had done that and suffered for 70 years. And finally God let up on them and let them get back to where they need to be. And they said, thank you, God, for that grace in conviction and forgiveness. Amen. They were thankful for that. Then the psalm takes a change, it seems, a shift as they begin to ask God to do some things for them and they have some fear in their voice, Pastor Daniel. You can tell they're desiring something. They really want it. And they're saying, God, we need this. God, we, we need this and we believe this, God, that you can do this. And they said, wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? They said, here's the famous text, amen. Wilt thou not revive us again that thy people may rejoice in thee, they said. 
Show us thy mercy, O God, and grant us thy salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak. They said, I'll listen to your conviction, amen, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints, but let them not turn again to folly. Surely his salvation is nigh them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land, amen. Father, we love you. God, bless your word, God. Help us this morning, God. Pray, God, I pray in my heart you'll stir that need for revival. God, that I'll go back home and I'll preach different. God, that I'll go back home and I'll act different in my community, God. I'll run after souls. I'll weep for souls, God. Change us, Lord, and give us that desire and passion, God, that only you can do in us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Now listen, we've got to imagine what these folks are going through, amen. They are probably excited to be going home. They're going through a long journey to get there, amen. It's going to be hard. They know it, but they're excited to be out of the, uh, the, the condemnation that they were in, amen. And they're going back. They get there, Pastor Daniel, and they see the rubble, and they see the stones. They see the destruction that happened 70 years ago as, uh, as everything was destroyed, amen. Uh, but then, uh, you got to think about it. You ever seen that stuff on Facebook where it's like old dilapidated abandoned roller coasters and mansions and all that? You can imagine that's what they're seeing. All the, the, the greenery's grown up around it, trees and grass, and there's rubble sitting there, and they see 70 years of vegetation. It's very easy to understand how they were uh, elated to go back home, but when they got there, you can see they were downhearted. They saw what they had to do. They saw everything that was needed, and although they were in a much better place than they were before, they see a tremendous need for revival in their land. And they said, wilt thou revive us again, God? Because they knew they needed it. Can I tell you that the people of God could easily convince themselves that we are in a great place and don't need anything. We all know Revelation 3 and the Laodicean church, how we've got more than we really need. Uh, we're blessed beyond compare in our personal lives, and our churches. We've got property. We've got buildings. We've got all that stuff. There are churches on every corner. Thank God for the Philadelphia church age and all those times as men ran around and preached and uh, churches and movements sprout up everywhere. Our nation was literally shaped by the churches having involvement in the politics, amen, and Christian men leading our nation. And, and, and listen, I still we believe we're a Christian nation, although we're going the wrong way very fast. But when you truly look around, I mean really look around with your spiritual glasses on, you see the need for revival all around us. We live in a world that's completely against everything that we do. We're in a world where people in church don't even understand conviction. We're in a world that preachers don't even understand. They're missing the boat on half of the stuff they're doing. We're in a world where we need revival. People don't understand, but we need revival. One man said it doesn't take long for us to forget God's mercies he's given to us. The hard reality of making a living, uh, runaway inflation, rising prices, unexpected expenses, sap our spiritual buoyancy and weigh us down with burdens. Right. Our people's coming in so burdened about personal life and what's going on in the world. 
uh, there's no sense of the Holy Spirit, no sense of what the church needs, no sense of real revival, amen. So here we are in a good place, in a place, if we're smart, we'll realize we need real Holy Ghost revival. And God's got a remnant left, I promise you. And listen, if we'll take a look around spiritually, we'll see all that desolation. We've still got lost members in our families, amen. We've still got people sitting in the pews, living in pure, utter, total sin, amen. We've still got men in leadership at churches that ain't living right and ain't doing right, don't care if they do, amen. We're still living in a place where homosexuality is rampant and Satan's attacking on every point, amen. And we need revival this morning. We've, we've got to have a desire for that revival in us. My question is, do you believe God can this morning? Do you believe God can? Because if you don't, he won't. Amen. The people of God have got to believe it, and we've got to desire it. I do believe God will stir revival. I do believe my little boy Brock can grow up preaching in meetings and preaching in old-time, old-fashioned, Holy Ghost-filled churches. I do believe God ain't done with us. Revival's the only answer to most every problem we've got that you and I are plagued with. Every person in your church needs to believe, and I mean really believe, that God can send real revival. I'm going to show you a couple elements of real revival that the psalmist mentions that apply to you and I today. I didn't mean to scare you, little buddy. I'm sorry. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the devil. Amen. Number one, we see the possibility of revival existed. Amen. He said, wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again? He said that word. You know what that means when he says that? I gather from that statement that the psalmist knows that God has the ability to send revival. Also notice he realizes that God has sent revival in the past. And therefore he understands that there was the definite possibility of real revival happening with his people. Amen. I'm trying to tell you this morning, we've got to believe it. Amen. We've got to believe that God can in our time that it's truly possible for real revival to hit Winkler's Grove Baptist Church, amen, to hit New Beginning Baptist Church, to hit Calvary, to hit Grace Gospel Baptist Church. We've got to believe it. I don't believe, listen, I don't believe there's anything biblical that says revival can't happen. I understand there's a falling away in Laodicea. I understand all that. I understand most of preachers say we're living in the last times. That does not eliminate the ability of possible real revival happening, especially on a smaller scale, like a church, a local church revival. And I believe God can do it on a large scale. I ain't limiting God, amen. He can do it in America with great men. Uh, like, like Ralph and Brother Winston and Brother Paul and people that will fight the government and do those things. God can still send revival. He, I can see him send it to a less Christianized nation somewhere where we've sent missionaries as they fall in love with the gospel. Amen. I can see it popping off somewhere like that too. Uh, but, but listen, I believe we can have it in America today. Amen. You can't tell me that if the whole church got right with God, quit worrying about building a crowd, quit worrying about building a brand, quit worrying about packing a pew, 
that we won't see movement on the needle of revival this morning. You can't tell me that if we just simply got up and preached what thus saith the Lord. I mean, what if, what if some men of God decided that they're going to preach like Evan Roberts and John and Charles Wesley and Jonathan Edwards and mount their pulpits and simply obey Revelation 22 and 10 this morning. I think we'd see a movement on needle revival. You could guarantee that you would see some church members get right and you'd see some church members get saved. I'm telling you, listen, I, I, I would never get into the pulpit and be mean, but I'm just trying to preach truth to you. The church has sold itself to the world for fame and popularity and crowds and dollar bills. And most of them will come down on a man that'll say anything about it or rebuke it openly. Most of listen, I, I love his church. I don't believe it's a description of y'all. But most of them run by a deacon board, a finance committee, a trustee committee, or a family dynasty. I can't help but be a true biblicist, amen. <laughs> Will there not be a possible chance of real revival if some men just decided to get up and preach like Jonah? God began to enter in the city. Jonah began entering the city of days. Jonah cried and said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. It won't be long and you'll burn in hell. It won't be long and you're going to be dead. It won't be long till you're in hell. I just believe it. I just believe it. You know what? Listen. I mean, just believe. One man said, if you keep doing what you keep doing, you're going to keep getting what you've keep, what you been getting. Have we been getting revival much? Over the past 30, 40, however many years, have we got much revival? Then maybe we need to do something different, amen. Every revival that I personally have studied comes on the heels of very strong preaching, amen. Study it. Revelation 22 and 10 says, And he saith unto me, Seal not the sayings of the prophecies of this book. That's the book of Revelations. Seal not the prophecies I gave John on the Isle of Patmos, for the time is at hand. You know what that's saying? The Word of God saying, Preach judgment. Preach the rapture. Preach sin like that man of God just did. Preach the return of Christ. Preach the tribulation. Preach the millennium. Preach on eternity. Preach on death. Preach on Satan. Preach on the Antichrist. Preach heaven sweet, hell hot, sin wrong, and judgment for sure this morning. Because the time is at hand. People are going to die and go to hell. In your New Testament, them evangelists were propagating the gospel and preaching those type of things right there. I'm just going to tell you. Think about it. Think about it. What messages you listen to? Percy Ray? Red Light of Hell? J. Harold Smith? God's Three Deadlines? Jonathan Edwards? You don't know this one. They that are in hell are in despair. You don't know this one. Wicked cast into hell's furnace. Man, he preached on hell all the time. Jesus Christ, more on hell than, he, than anybody else in your Bible. Charles Spurgeon preached on heaven and hell. D.L. Moody preached hell is eternal. Are y'all getting where I'm headed right yeah. there? Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
The greatest revival that ever took place came on that type of preaching. Let me take you back to 1741, Jonathan Edwards' famous message. They deserve to be cast into hell. Justice calls aloud for an infinite punishment of their sins. Divine justice says of the tree that bring forth such grapes of Sodom, cut it down while cumbereth it to the ground. The sword of divine justice is every moment brandished over their heads. They are already under the sentence of the condemnation of hell. They do not only justly deserve to be cast down thither, but the sentence of the law of God has gone out against them and stands against them so that they are bound over already to hell. Oh, sinner, consider the fearful danger you're in. It is a great furnace of wrath, a wide and bottomless pit, full of fire and wrath that you're held over. You hang by a slender thread with the flames of divine wrath flashing about it and ready every moment to singe it and burn it asunder. I don't think he'd get invited back to 95% of our churches when he got up and said that. Sure. That kind of preaching stirred revival in the hearts of the people. Revival is possible in our nation, y'all. Don't tell me the conditions are too bad. Don't tell me the conditions are too bad. And God's true is, I don't have time to go through all of them. I'm trying to hurry. But historical revivals, biblical revivals, you you can read about them all. Every biblical revival that was an apostasy to the things of God and an overwhelming state of immorality, probably worse than we're sitting in right now. Most revivals were preceded, this is Dr. John Phillips, I believe, preceded by a time of deep spiritual decline and despair. For example, there was the Egyptian bondage which led to the golden calf debacle or the time prior to the revival under King Hezekiah which involved the revolting practice of offering children as burnt offerings to the altar of Molech. They were burning their own kids to a pagan god. I ain't seen that happening much lately. No different was the situation in Elijah's time with the maddening spectacle of the whole nation gathering on Mount Carmel, unable to decide whether to worship Baal or to God. Think about that. The whole nation's up there saying, what do we do? What do we do? Let's worship Baal. Amen. What a time of apostasy they were in. Jonah's entire nation hated God when Jonah went over there. Every one of them. He wasn't scared to go preach what was right. It's not too late for America, y'all. Every historical revival as well as biblical revivals have the same turning away from God and immorality. I don't have time to read the quote I have, but conditions were the same in the first awakening. They were the same in the Welsh revival. They were the same in the second great awakening, the great prayer revival meeting. They were the same in the, even the Reformation. You may not see it as a revival, but it was, amen. During that time, if I could read this last line, it talks about Roman papacy and all that. Right here at the end, the papacy and the cardinals set an appalling standard. But it's clear that the Roman Catholic Church insistence on celibacy, especially among unwilling people, created an unnecessary moral standard. Thus, towards the end of the 15th century in the Diocese of Constance, some 1,500, one diocese, Some 1,500 children were born annually to priests. The church condoned the behavior by exacting a cradle fee, making money off of it, for each child and a concubinage fee uh, for each offending clergyman. The world was in a place. I believe God can do it this morning. And, And listen, especially for the fact of somewhere like this. 
Where God, listen, God used one man over and over. God used Jonah. God used Elijah. God used Josiah. God used Devin Roberts. God used the Holy Club, John and Charles Wesley. God used a shoe salesman named D.L. Moody. And he used a bunch of businessmen and Jeremiah Lefford. God can stir revival at Winkler's Grove. God can use a man named Paul Deal to be the catalyst of that revival. And God can do something with the remnant here. Do you believe it? Say amen. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? Because I believe it. If you don't believe it, you ain't going to have it. Secondly, we see that there was a plea for revival exercise. I'm hurrying. Wilt thou not revive us again? That's a prayer, y'all. That's a plea. He believes God, so he begs God. That's how it ought to work in our lives. Amen. Listen, I truly believe God can send revival, and I believe we need it, but we've got to plea for it. We've got to beg God for it. We've got to want it more than anything in our lives. We've got to have a desire to see those answered prayers. We've got to have a desire to see those children saved. We've got to have a desire to see those loved ones saved. We've got to have a desire to see God move amongst us. You've got to have that desire. I preach this at my church years ago, and when I preach it out, I give a plan for prayer. I tell them I ain't got much time to go into it. I ain't going to read you the verse nothing. But you got to beg, if you want real revival, we got to beg God for deep conviction of sin and a holy fear of God like he just preached. We got to beg God for a spiritual hunger, amen. We got to beg God to bring unity and deep harmony into this place. And like he said, that may, that may require some funerals, that may re require some backdoor revivals, amen. But there's got to be deep unity in the house of God. We've got to beg God for a passion for souls. I'll stop right here for a minute. You've got to walk in a gas station and see that poor little girl tatted and pierced up and everything and not judge her, but realize she might not be saved. She might be on the way to a devil's hell, amen. And if she could get under some real preaching from a man of God, she might just get born again. And when you walk in there and see her, rather than judgment, there ought a tear come across your eye as you realize that's a soul that'll burn in hell forever. Oh, we've got to have a passion for souls, preacher. We've got to have, listen, we've got to pray for God to call men, use men, use women. We've got to beg God to pour out his spirit. I'm not asking you anymore if you believe it. You know, some of you got in, some of you didn't. Now, now we're dealing with the real remnant, the ones that believe it. I'm asking you if you'll beg for it. Hey, man, you want to see your family saved? You want to see your, reckon, your relationships reconciled? You want to see hope? For our young'uns that Winston was talking about, revival's the answer to every single bit of it. I ain't going to give you this illustration, but you know the revival of Jeremiah Lampire. Regular dude was told to go down there to New York, city mission, whatever, had a prayer meeting, noon on Wednesday, nobody showed. At the end of it, six walks in. The next week, 40 walked in. The next week, they went every single day. Within two years or three years, they had several million people that had gotten saved simply because one man, and he wasn't a preacher, one man said, I'll be the prayer warrior. One man said, I'll cry out to God for it. One man said, I do believe it, and I'll beg God for it. And God did it, amen. It's possible here. Do you believe it? Do you want it? Lastly, we see they were in a position for revival to be executed. Verse 14 says, Turn from their wicked... Oh, sorry, that's 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. We always use that, right? If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. 
We know those are the actions that predicate on us can help bring revival. He said, humble ourselves because God resists the proud, right? Some preacher in here, somebody help me. I don't find anything else in the Bible that says this is how you humble yourself. I know there's uh, different ways and different things, but David said he humbled himself with fasting. We know that fasting is a biblically described way to humble yourself. If you don't fast, you got a pride problem, amen. And you might want to do it if you want to see real revival. We have to pray and ask God because he said, if you ask not, you receive not. We have to seek his face because we truly got to want it. I just preached on that. But I really like this last one where he says, turn from your wicked ways. But notice in, in earlier in the psalm this morning, he said, they said, turn us. Right? You see two elements there. Chronicle says, you do it. Psalm says, God, you do it. That's, that's right. Two elements. I see a sovereign element of revival that you and I can't work up and we can't get going, we can't do. And I see a service element of revival. That is all that we can do. For you to ever truly desire the things of God and want real revival and for God to get glory, and he's going to have to convict you of your apathy and convict you of your lack of desire for godly things and convict us for our worldly ambition, amen. God's got to give you the power to not want what's got a hold of you right now. Amen. Because real revival, starting the men of heart, in men's hearts, and then men do what they're told. I truly believe in our free will. We can stifle the things God wants to do by not doing everything he told us to do. If we don't truly believe he can do it, if we don't truly desire him to do it, if we don't truly uh, do what he told us to do and uh, seek his face, it probably won't happen. Here's what I'm asking you to do. Can I have Lauren come? We're going to be done, right? You do whatever. Lauren, come up here. Here's what I'm asking you to do, and I'm done. I try. Oh, it's 12 o'clock. It's perfect timing. I'm thinking the first time that I drove one of them high-dollar cars. I'm just a poor little pastor up there in the country. My old minivan, she's a 2013. But one time we got some money, and I went and Carla made me go to that wicked, wicked Disney World place. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Y'all can laugh. I know it's been a serious message, and it's invitation. I'm not supposed to tell jokes, but listen to me. I went down there and got one of them high-dollar cars. One of them ones where I'm driving down the four-lane preacher trying to get down there to Orlando. And all of a sudden, you know, I'm just doing my thing, playing on my phone, doing all this stuff. And all of a sudden, I start drifting. And all of a sudden, the car goes, starts going this way. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> Grabbed it, fought with it. I realized, after my family laughed at me, that's one of them assisted driving cars. It tries to keep you from going in a ditch. Here I am acting stupid, not doing what I'm supposed to do. And this car, I go, sit pulling against me, and I'll fight it, man. And I don't know what would happen if I continue to fight it. I don't know if it'd quit and just let me go into the ditch. That sounds pretty Bible right there. I don't know if it'd fight me so much it'd cause a wreck, maybe some uh, little judgment. That sounds like Bible too. I don't know what it'd do. But I, I tell you what I did, I got scared because... That thing at the time had a higher power than me. It had a control that I, I, that, that I knew. It knew what it was doing. I know, I know, I, I felt like I knew I was doing driving, but we don't in life. I, I just kind of backed off and said, you know what? I'm going to turn with you. And I let that car put me where I needed to be to be safe and get to the destination I needed to get to. You know what we need to start saying? We need to start saying, turn us. Oh, God, we need to quit saying, I'm going to turn, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to pray. I'm going to make 
this happen somehow. But we need to say, God, turn us on, God. Turn us on, God. We've got to get down on an altar somewhere. We've got to beg God to change who we are. Make us more like him. That's the only way revival's going to come. You hear me? Evan Roberts said this. Here's a better phrase for turn us, or not better, the Bible's better, but Evan Roberts said this. He said, bend me, oh God. I'll read you a story real quick. Do I got two minutes? On Thursday, September 29th, 1904, Evan Roberts, some 20 students gathered out at 6 a.m. to attend a 7 a.m. meeting. All y'all that's complained about 9 a.m. for Paul, he, he's of God, amen. These boys went to church at 6 a.m. Meeting at the Blinneretchet Conference. Along the way, they sang, it's coming, it's coming, the power of the Holy Ghost. I receive it, I receive it, the power of the Holy Ghost. As they broke for breakfast, Seth Joshua concluded his preaching with a prayer in Welsh. He said, oh, Lord, bend us. Evan Roberts was deeply and visibly moved by the prayer. And, and that is, he said, quote, that is what you stand in need of, said the Spirit to me, Evan Roberts said. And going through the door, I prayed within myself, oh, Lord, bend us. Oh, Lord, bend us. On the way into the 9 o'clock meeting, said Joshua commented, we are going to have a wonderful meeting here today, to which Roberts replied, I'm just bursting. When the meeting resumed at 9 a.m., Roberts knew he must pray. And he waited for others to finish praying, and he said, I felt some living energy or force entering my bosom. I took my, it took my breath away, and my legs trembled exceedingly. Evan Roberts recounted the event himself. I fell on my knees with my arms on the seat before him. The perspiration poured down my face, and tears streamed quick. That's where we need to be, church, until I thought that the blood came out. Soon, Miss Davies came to wipe my perspiration away. It was awful on me for about two minutes. I cried, bend me, bend me, oh, oh, bend me. When wiping my perspiration, Miss Davies said, oh, wonderful grace. Yes, said I, oh, wonderful grace. It was God commending his love that bent me. And not seeing anything for him to commend after I was bent, a wave of peace filled my bosom. When I was in the feeling, the audience sang heartily, I'm coming, I'm coming, Lord, to thee. What came to my mind after this was the bending in that day of judgment. Then I was filled with sympathy for the people who will have to bend in the judgment day as I wept. Afterwards, the salvation of souls weighed heavily upon me. What we've got to do this morning is ask God to bend us, turn us to himself, clean us up, and put that burden for souls in us. If we want to see something real happen, church, I'm telling you the truth. You can correct me if I, ain't, if I preach something one Bible. We've got to have a desire for souls. Where are you at this morning? Are you too apathetic to even get up and come to an altar and say, bend me, God? Are you too encapsulated and bound by that sin to say, God, I'll give it to you. Bend me, God. Bend me, God, change me. God, give me a burden. I don't even weep over my own brother that might go to hell. I don't even weep over my own uncles that have already died. I don't even weep over my own family sometimes. Where are you at? Bend me, God. Bend me, God. What are you going to do with that this morning? Will you ask him to bend you? Bend your feet if you would sing this morning. More like Do you believe it? Do you want it? How bad do you want it? 
Ask questions. Judgment stall. 